Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. So today, Clyde Glass is continuing our series, Seeds of Transformation. And then also, we have three very key summer events at Southview that are coming up very soon. Those three events are Summer Kids Camp, Stampede Breakfast, and The Block Party. These events don't happen without a number of people stepping in to volunteer, and so we'd love to have you serve in this way. All three events are great ways that we reach out into our community. So you can visit our Serve page on the website, or if you're around the church on the weekend, there's a Serve table where you can sign up. On May 18th, we have a baptism class. If you're curious about baptism and what it means or how to take that step, then please join us in the classes online. You can register again on Realm or our website. Lastly, an update about our succession planning team's progress. Sam Seifert will be stepping in as the interim leader when Clyde retires, and the succession planning team is putting forward names to the Board of Elders to consider informing a search committee. And also, the succession planning team is continuing to build a ministry profile for the future senior pastor of Southview. There's lots going on, and if you have any questions or are looking for any up-to-date information, you can go to the Succession tab on our website. And at the same time, if you haven't already, we would ask that you take the time to fill out that survey on the Succession tab as well, because it really helps as we move forward in this time of transition. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm, and you can join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure that you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant, because God is here, and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends. So glad we can be joined together here and for those joining us online. And we are gathered because God is in our presence. He is here in our midst. And so as we worship to him, he's here receiving it. As we pray to him, he hears our prayers. And as we come now to the word he's given us, by his grace and through his spirit, he will lead us, prompt us, And through his spirit, lead us to be fed by him in the meal of communion. So thankful you can be joining in today for this. So consider the setting. A world where people don't believe in absolute truth, when either followers of Jesus are relativists, where many theologians are uncertain about Jesus, where new spiritualities are proliferating, where the idea that there is only one way of salvation is considered outmoded, backwards, narrow, and ignorant. Which could lead us to ask, does the good news of Jesus even work in that kind of world? And what world am I describing? Well, our own world certainly, 
But what I really had in mind is the world within which the Apostle John ministered and wrote his three epistles. Because what I've just described, it's not just a description of our day, but it's a description of the Greco-Roman world in the time of John. Because John wrote his first epistle to these followers of Jesus in ancient Asia Minor who were living in just as uncertain and just a changing a time as you and I are now living in. Pluralism, relativism were the dominant ideas of John's day. And here's the thing. The gospel, the good news of Jesus brought transformation to that world just as it can bring transformation to our own contemporary world. So I invite you to see what John says in the portion of Scripture we're going to read from his letter today. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5, as today we enter this final chapter of John's epistle, where John is writing to a number of local churches who are really struggling in their journey with Christ. And it was largely because of some false teachers had been going around spreading their false teaching, heresies really, among these new followers of Christ. And these false teachers, as we've considered in past weeks, were called largely Gnostics. And, and that's a term that comes from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. And, and they were claiming they had this kind of special hidden knowledge about who Jesus was and was not. So for one, they taught... Jesus wasn't God, and he wasn't even truly human. Okay, so John writes this letter to combat that false teaching and to encourage these new believers in their walk with Christ as their faith was wavering. And so to do that, John focuses on, in our passage today, on three central fundamental components of walking with Christ. Believing, loving, obeying. That's what we're going to see John focus on. And so John says to these believers who are being challenged in their faith in this opening section of chapter 5, and as we hear it, remember, this is a word of God. And this is what John writes, beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God. So there's the believe component. And everyone who loves the Father, there's a love component, loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So there's the obey com component. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, before we get into this text, I, I want to remind you where we've been and what we've been hearing in the second half of John's letter. Because really, from the latter part of chapter 3 and throughout our study of chapter 4, we've received, as you know, these numerous exhortations about the centrality, the priority, the necessity of living a life of love. 
And really, at the risk of oversimplifying, the teaching we've walked through in the past weeks, the message of 1 John 4, and really the message of this entire epistle has been this, that God is love, as it says in 1 John 4, 8, and this God who is love has poured out his love on us and calls us therefore to be conduits, instruments of his love in the world. So for one meaning this, that from the beginning, God has been the initiator of our relationship with him. We didn't even seek God, he pursued us to begin with. Even before we knew his name, he loved us and has then provided for us through his son Jesus. This means for us to know and experience and walk in the glorious love of the God of creation, which is a love that transforms who we are. For in Christ, we are children of the living God. Okay, now the reason I'm kind of reviewing all this is because you kind of expect that as we move into chapter 5, that we would move on from John's huge focus on love. But let me prepare you. That is not the case. We are not done talking about love because as we will see, John is not done talking about love. For as we now move into chapter 5, we will see that really woven into the fabric of everything John is saying to these churches here, woven into the fabric of everything John is calling and encouraging them towards, is this fundamental bedrock reality that we, that you, are loved by God with a love that is beyond our full comprehension. But if we can begin to grasp and then also receive that love, friends, it will transform who we are and how we live and how we love. In other words, if we receive this love and really step into it in faith, believing it, it will indelibly mark us in our lives. Because what I believe John is saying in, first, in chapter 5 here is, Okay, this is what life looks like. This is what a life is marked by when it is deeply rooted and firmly grounded in the love of God and love for God. So those who live this way, John says, are marked by three things. Believing, loving, obeying. And then John adds that it's by these three things that you will for one, know that you belong to God and that you will overcome the world. Anyone want more of that in your life? Knowing that you are God's, overcoming the world? Okay, so what I want to do today is to look at those three characteristics of believing, loving, and obeying. But I want us to remember this about John as we are going to see. You can't separate those three characteristics. Believing is interwoven into loving. And that is interwoven into obeying. So really, how do we know we believe God? John says, because we love God. And how do we know we love God? Because we obey God. You can't separate them, although many try to do precisely that. 
So John says again in verse 3 here, for this is the love of God. This is loving God. This is what it looks like that we keep his commandments. Now, it's kind of interesting because that word keep there, it doesn't mean kind of rigid legal obedience, but rather keep there means to treasure, to treasure God's commandments because we love and treasure the one who gives those commandments. For example, think of David. David is the one who wrote in Psalm 119, oh, how I love thy law, how I love, how I treasure thy commands, Lord. Why? Because I love you, Lord. That's why. Because I want to honor, I want to serve you, Lord. That's why I obey. So that's why John writes, again, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And that's why John then adds, again in verse 3, and his commandments, therefore, because they've been given to us in love, they're not burdensome. Okay, which I think all leads to some understandable questions. Like, how's all that work? I mean, how does believing that Jesus is the Christ, that he is our true Savior and Deliverer, how does that have anything to do with whether I obey him or not? And how does believing Jesus is the Christ provide the means for what John calls overcoming the world? How's all that tie together? How's it all work? Okay, here's how. If indeed Jesus is God, if it really is true what Hebrews 1 says he is, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, that he is the exact representation of God's nature, and that he upholds all things pertaining to life in creation according to his power, then it might just follow that Jesus, more than any other, has the best possible information on how life works and how it can be experienced abundantly to the full. Let me put it this way. The reason God's commandments are not burdensome is because they were not given to us to weigh us down or to spoil our fun. Which really, it would be burdensome if God gave his commandments with the attitude kind of a, well, that sure looks like it's fun and enjoyable, but I don't want my people to have fun or enjoyment. So I'm going to tell them they can't do that. That is way too much fun. Which is what I think some of us kind of instinctively assume is the purpose beyond God's commandments. To limit enjoyment, to limit pleasure. Because enjoyment and pleasure, kind of we think, aren't very holy. So let's be clear. The commandments of God in Christ are not given to us to weigh us down or to put us in some kind of cage, but rather they're given to us to help set us free to guide us in actually living life to the full, to live, as Jesus said, abundantly. 
And I want to be clear as well on this. When, when I refer to life, I'm not just talking about kind of an eternal life that only kicks in once we die. No. Because Jesus said, I've come that you might experience life to the full now. But all those words from Jesus prompt us to ask a key question. Do you believe that? Because if you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, or if you do believe he's the Christ, but you think he's the Christ, the Savior, only in some kind of distant, fuzzy, detached from daily life, but theological kind of way, where, where it's the thing you have to believe about him in order to go to heaven when you die, but you see no connection between what he says about life and how you live daily. So if all you see Jesus as is someone whose name you need to believe in in order to go to heaven when you die, but you don't see him as a one who provides guidance in the very best way to live this life, I promise you, you will not obey him. Why would you? What would he have anything worthwhile to say about living your real daily life? So please catch this. Here's the point. Central to our obedience to Christ is what we believe about him. Because obeying and believing, as we already said, they are woven together. You cannot have one without the other. So if I believe that Jesus, who is God, if I believe he truly does have the best information on how to live my daily life to the full, if I believe that, then I will obey, obey him. And I will move increasingly in his direction and treasuring, keeping his guidance and commandments. And if I am treasuring, obeying his guidance and commandments, that reveals I'm believing him. Which I think all presses another vital question. So what do you believe? Do you truly believe? Do you truly believe that God is good? Do you truly believe that his guidance and commands are right and true? Do you believe that the way Jesus exhorts us to live and a life and walk in relationships, do you believe that actually is the best information on how to experience life to the full? And that his way provides a way to authentic and rich life and joy and peace. Because here's the thing. Again, if you don't believe that, you won't obey him. And hear me, that's not a shaming thing. It's just kind of a spiritual reality. And if you don't obey him, really, it simply tells you that you don't truly believe him. You don't trust him in some area of your life. And, and here's why I think this is so critical for us to understand and why we're giving it our focus today. 
I think some of us are struggling with obedience and we're thinking the only issue is, I, I just need to obey Christ better. When the core issue is actually what you do or don't believe about Jesus, about God. And understand, this battle of belief, it is nothing new. It's portrayed even back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. When the enemy said to Adam, essentially, did God really give you his guidance for your good? I mean, did God actually, rather, or isn't God actually trying to put you in chains, really limit your life and wisdom by keeping you from eating this beautiful fruit? And really, so at the heart of Adam's disobedience, and really at the heart of your and my disobedience, is what Adam and what we believe or don't believe about God. Like, maybe God isn't good. Maybe God can't be trusted. I mean, maybe his way isn't the way to an abundant life. I think maybe I'll listen to a different voice. As one writer put it, many people do indeed, not always consciously, see the commandments of God and the guidance of Jesus as the spiritual equivalent of a sourpuss parent slapping the hand of their child as their child reaches for their favorite cookie. Essentially saying, no, you can't have that really good thing because that would be altogether way too much fun. I don't want you to enjoy yourself too much. And I think the reality is, for some of us, I think that's how we tend to view the guidance and commands of Christ. Likely because in some way, we don't think God is good. We don't think he can be trusted. He's not to be believed in some way. And really, he probably doesn't know much about true life, about true joy, about true peace. I mean, I'll go to God when it comes to my eternal salvation. I'll believe in him for that. But he doesn't understand my day-to-day life. So here's another question. And let me set it up with this. I think most of us, even those who might not be following Jesus, I think most of us believe that Jesus was holy. Even if we're from another faith, I think we can acknowledge that Jesus lived a very spiritual life, right? But here's the question. Do you believe Jesus was happy? Do you believe Jesus was truly joyful? Do you believe that Jesus had uniquely significant insight about how to live life to the fullest? I mean, did he display in his personality or the way he walked through life or even the way he dealt with people kind of a a floaty, ethereal, detached weirdness? Or were people unusually drawn to him in the way he did life? Because think about this. 
the first group he had an impact on, it was not theologians, philosophers, or monastics. It was fishermen. That's who a bunch of Jesus' first followers were. I mean, it would be kind of like today if the first group of people that Jesus had an impact on were roughnecks at an oil well. Because they are not fallen just for flowery language or hypocrites, are they? No. Yet those are the very kind of people who are drawn to Jesus, who found Jesus compelling, who really wanted to learn from Jesus. Friends, I think some of us, maybe perhaps at a subconscious level, believe that if we obey Christ and follow his guidance, it's probably the right thing to do, but it won't provide much joy or life. I mean, we might not verbalize it this way, but somewhere within us, we think that if we follow Jesus, our life is going to be pretty dull and pretty dry. And we're going to miss out on most of the joy or fun in life. Because we think following Jesus is always one flavor. Vanilla. Always. And I think heaven weeps at the misperceptions we have about following Christ. When we do not believe that Jesus truly came to provide us with life and, and life to the full. And, and beloved, if we do not believe that, we will not obey him. So really, it doesn't matter how many times you hear an encouragement to obedience because if your heart, in your heart, you don't truly believe Jesus is trustworthy. Because again, Central to our obedience to Christ is what we truly believe about him. You know, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, author Dallas Willard opens with these words. My hope is to get a fresh hearing for Jesus. What a great phrase. And he adds this especially among those who believe they already understand him. In this case, familiarity has led to unfamiliarity. Unfamiliarity has led to contempt, and contempt has led to profound ignorance about who Jesus is and what he calls us to. And then Willard goes on to say this, very few people today find Jesus of relevance to the course of their actual lives. He's not generally regarded as a real-life personality who deals with real-life issues, but is thought to be concerned only with some feathery realm other than the one we must deal with every day. And then Willard raises this question. Would you be able to trust your life to such a detached, feathery person? If this is how he seems to you, are you going to be inclined to be a student? To be devotedly following, courageously obeying him? Absolutely not. Who would? Willard writes. And again, 
This is a battle that John was also facing in the young churches in his day. And that's why he would write this in verse 11 of chapter 5. And this is a testimony he hits home to them. That God gave us eternal life and this life, it's in his son. Whoever has a son has life, but whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And again, not just the eternal life after this life, but an eternal kind of life that begins right here, right now. Because I'm not just talking about, John wasn't just talking about having eternal life after we die. I mean, if you want to know how to do life now, this week to the full, then friends, you need to know that kind of life now, it is only found in Jesus. So why is John fighting for that? Really, why am I fighting for that? Here's why. Central to our obedience to Christ is what we truly believe about Christ. Not just what we know we should believe, but what we truly believe. So one final question. And it's related to what John says here in verse 5 when he writes this. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, so here's the question. Why is believing that Jesus is Christ, the Savior, the Deliverer, why is that the necessary ingredient to overcoming the world? And understand, by that term world there, John is referring not as much to the kind of physical creation or universe, but he's referring really more so to the powers of this world, including our natural fleshly pulls to live apart from God. It's referring even to that pull to be God of our own lives. But it also includes here the evil spiritual powers that seek to displace Jesus as Lord in creation. And these are the pulls that each of us experiences daily. That, that pull to find life in stuff or in achievements or in acclaim or in whatever besides Christ. But John says, hear it. We can overcome, friends. We can have victory over those profound powers, those profound pulls in our lives. But the only means for being victorious over those powers, those pulls in our life that ultimately will lead us to emptiness, is actually believing, actually trusting this Jesus, the Son of God. So a final word, simply this. John wants us to know that there is an obedience to God born out of a love for God and belief in his son as God that has the power to overcome all the pulls and powers of this world in such a way that you and I can authentically experience Life to the full, abundant life. And that's what Jesus offers to you. And he says to you, even today, come to me, believe in me. So I wonder, is there an area in your life 
Will you sense Jesus is inviting you to believe him, to trust him, even today? So today, if you want Jesus, I want to invite you to receive from him in this meal of communion. And if you're here, if you're not sure about Jesus or you really are not ready to receive this, that is so fine. We're just glad you're here with us. But for those who do want him, I invite you to come to the table. And so we come, we lift the cup together, and we break this bread in the presence of God again, praying to God, oh, Father, would you feed us with this? We want Jesus. Strengthen us as we take this meal. So may I invite you to take the cup you received as you came in and just take out that piece of bread, the very top section, and hold it before you. And if your desire is even today to say, I want to trust him, I invite you to receive from him the body of Christ broken for you. Let's take and eat together. And then with the cup, I invite you to take the cup, hold it again, And we receive this together because we believe, friends, that the blood of Christ was poured out for you. So receive from him. Would you pray with me? And Father, we acknowledge before you, and you know even better than we do, the areas in our life where we're hesitant, feel fearful perhaps, to trust you. And so, Father, I pray by work of your spirit, you would reveal to us your goodness, your grace, your trustworthiness by your spirit draws to you, we pray, so that in our obedience to your son, we would express our love of him and for you. And for your grace to us and love to us, we give you thanks. In Jesus' incredible name, and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, friends? And if I can give you three encouragements. For one, encourage you to come back next weekend as we close up First John together. Do come back for that. And, and also want you to be aware, if you're a newcomer with us, uh, we have a newcomer's lunch after our 11 o'clock service tomorrow. We'd love to have you come back for that if you haven't been to one, and you can just let them know at the Newcomer Center. They can give you more details about it. We'd love to have you joining us. And I'll just echo Justine as well to encourage you to take the survey, use the QR code. It's going to be up there following the service. You can use it here or in the cardo as well. And remind you as well, we're not done in this gathering. This is time we get to hang out together, get a coffee, decaf, probably I'd suggest, and hang out together as we move in this week. And in light of what we've just said, let me pray this word of blessing over you. Because I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, I pray that you might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. And that you might know this love that surpasses knowledge and by it, therefore, be filled with the full measure 
of the goodness of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that grace. Amen.